headquarters in New York City, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Schball. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. So Zach, really quickly, uh, what have you been drinking recently? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step outside the, the normal confines of this conversation and, and talk about a non-alcoholic beverage, which I promise is not like a dry January thing here. But I've been really in, drinking a lot of green tea lately. Um, yeah, dude, and, and no one, it's great. I mean, cool. You drank green tea. So awesome. <laughs> I mean, you just really, you really took it there in a really like annoying way. Wait, 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 wait. I, Adam, I hadn't even gotten nearly as pretentious as I was going to. You cut me off yeah, I know. before you I could... are like, you probably went and harvested some leaves and then you're, Oh no, 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 you know, no. They wouldn't, someone, someone is, someone as untrained as me could never actually pick tea leaves. Like, are you kidding me? I would destroy them. Why are um, you drinking green tea, man? I, so there's something about so it's in particular I've been drinking uh, again my cho which is a type of green tea that <laughs> yeah, yeah he's he's over there laughing whatever man look look we we put up with a lot of connoisseurship on this show in general and just because it doesn't have alcohol in it doesn't mean it can't be worth talking about for a moment uh, yeah, let's talk about get, some coffee that's delicious <laughs> you can talk about coffee all you want all right man uh, I, all I can say is. Uh, Gemmich is, is a green tea made with uh, – it also has some toasted brown rice in it. And what, so what I love about it is you get this, you know, sort of the perfume and the aromatics of green tea along with this sort of very sort of savory nuttiness of the um, of the brown rice as you steep it. And so I'm, – I'm sure that people who listen to this podcast think that we sound super pretentious when we talk about wine, beer, cocktails in this manner. But for some reason, hearing you talk about green tea and the brown toasted rice notes just makes me want to jump out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's move on quickly to what you're drinking because uh, oh, we need I'm, to keep you I'm, alive for the sake of the podcast. I'm drinking water. How's that? I'm drinking. You a said lot that of last water. week, man. You can't you can't be drinking water every week. What kind of what kind of no, man, beverage? I, professional I, uh, I've been making a lot of Boulevardiers. They're oh, delicious. nice. I've been drinking a lot of Boulevardiers. For those that don't know what those are, it's basically a Negroni, but you sub uh, rye or bourbon for. Uh, the gin. No, no, no. You sub rye. You don't sub bourbon. Pretty, That's not a bourbon. No, nah, some people do. Some people yeah, do. Yeah, and some but people. I like the rye. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, See, possibly it's bourbon. See, I knew it. Oh, here we go. No, no, no. See, the problem with the problem with bourbon is. Wait to bring an actual cocktail expert onto the show in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's lurking in the background. Like I don't know what you're. He's in the room with you, so you can tell me if he's, he's if he's shaking yeah, his so. head or just laughing. But so uh, so we're so just to do this now, we are. Uh, you know, we're talking about. I already we. I have the ringer in the room with me who admits that classically the Boulevardier is bourbon. Thank you. Um, but we're actually not talking about Boulevardiers today. We're talking about tiki drinks, and this is a subject that you were really excited about talking about. So I'm going to let you sort of intro uh, what we're chatting about and why. But it feels actually pretty appropriate to me that we're talking about tiki drinks because. It's so fucking cold outside right now that all I actually want to do is be anywhere else. And I feel like tiki drinks are the best way to do that. And I feel like they're also having a moment right now. And I actually really want to understand why that is. Um, I've always liked tiki drinks. I think, you know, you and I had a pretty good one, Zach, when we were in Verona. The, the, the we had like five pretty good ones, let's yeah, be clear. We, we did. <laughs> it was not a one but, cocktail night. But, but what's funny is that it used to be like the drink that you drank at a tiki bar. Right. And there were only, there were very few of those kinds of bars. I have a college memory of going to a Trader Vic's in the basement of a Hilton hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> and those were like the first tiki drinks I ever had. And then when I moved to New York City, uh, lots of memories at Otto's Shrunken Head on 14th Street. But again, they have elevated themselves in a very uh, different way than they used to. So I'm, I'm super excited to talk about it. So, Zach, let's get into it. Yeah, well, you kind of stole my thunder here. That was what I was going to say. They're they're having a moment. They're definitely great at sort of transporting you from the cold, bitter realities of New York or the slightly less cold 
damp realities of Seattle um, and into the tropics. And and as you mentioned, joining us is uh, Captain Brian Miller. He's um, the man behind the Polynesian, which is a relatively new cocktail bar in uh, in your neck of the woods in uh, Midtown, New York. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Um, so, you know, Adam kind of mentioned a couple of the the topics of conversation that we were interested in here. But, uh, you know, what, I, what I'm wondering about, first of all, is is how in your mind, how do you define tiki? Like, is it a specific set of cocktails? Is it a set of ingredients? Is it an aesthetic or, or what? Like in your mind, if you if you if you were to define tiki, what is it? Oh boy. Um, well, <laughs> it's a difficult question. Um, it's, I mean, it started off as more of like a cultural movement. Um, you know, the art and, uh, the art that came from it, but I mean, it's, I don't know, to me, Tiki is kind of like dancing at a wedding. It just happens anywhere, you know, it can sprout up. Um, what is Tiki? It's probably a little bit like art. It's all in the eye of the beholder. Like, you know, there's certain things, you know, orgeat and cinnamon and nutmeg and all those baking spices usually, you know, are, are in the cocktails. But I think it's it's more about uh, transportation. It's about taking a sip of a cocktail and feeling transported away like you're on a beach. Like the flavor, the exotic flavors that come in these cocktails, they just take you away and you just get swept away thinking, I don't want to be here where it's six degrees and cold and the political environment is a complete nightmare (laughs) so let me where does tiki come from so how did it start um you know and where did the idea because you know we have other i think drinks trends like whiskey cocktails right or uh you know italian i guess you don't really see any other theme cocktail bars in the same way you see tiki bars so how did that start? Is that was that post World War II? I know some people I've I've read think it sort of came and started in like San Francisco on the West Coast. But I'm I'm really curious as as a tiki purveyor for you to sort of talk to us about the history of it, where it really comes from, and why you think we're embracing it so hardcore again now. Well, I guess the first thing I should say is I'm a bartender, and we're known to embellish stories, so not everything I say is true. Um, you know, I just go off of what I read. Um, you know, Jeff Beachmont Berry is kind of the he, – he's the godfather, the Indiana Jones of Tiki right now who's been bringing all the stories and all the cocktails back. Um, but it, it, it all starts with Don the Beachcomber. Um, you know, he was a – his dad was an oil man in Texas, and when he was growing up, his dad hit hit a well and was like, I've got money for you. He's like, you know, mom's telling him to go to college, and uh, Don's like, I'm going to buy a boat, and he sailed around the world, and he ended up, I think, what was it, in Singapore at the Raffles Hotel and had a Singapore sling there and was really inspired by that drink. And by the time he came back to, to Hollywood, um, you know, prohibition was ending and gin was super expensive, but rum was something that they couldn't give away. So he started playing a lot with rum cocktails and he got his little place on uh, McCadden Place next to the hotel. And he just took all the flotsam from his boat and hung that up. And it was a small, small little bar um, and started mixing what he calls his little rum rhapsodies. And Tiki just kind of took off from there. Um, you know, Trader Vic was probably one of his biggest fans and uh, imitators and 
more likely a collaborator, you know, the, the two of them kind of took Tiki into the mainstream. And from there, I just think it's, you know, it, it's, a, it, it is the last original cocktail movement in the United States, um, you know, before the pre-prohibition style or after the pre-prohibition style of cocktails. And it's, it's fun. Like it's just generally a fun way to either enjoy the drinks or make the drinks. I mean, I spent my time, you know, making my living at Pegu Club and and Death and Company, which are tremendous bars. But it's like after a while, you kind of get sick of the same old jazz, the same old arm garters, the vests and the ties. And as you guys mentioned before, the pretentiousness of thinking that we know it all and stuff like that. And you just kind of want to let your hair down and do something fun. And, you know, I tell my brethren, I was like, yeah, I think it's really cute the way you guys can balance four ingredients, but try taking the training wheels off the bike and balance eight to 12 and let me know how you can, how you do. So, I mean, fun is, is I think the operative word there. I mean, when you talk to people about Tiki, whether they're on the bar side like you or, or just people who drink it, I mean, that's the, the buzzword, the number one word. And I think that's actually a really important thing. You know, you, you mentioned the, the pretentiousness and just the seriousness of a lot of the best cocktail bars in the country, in the world. You know, most of them, you know, they're, they're sort of solemn, dignified affairs nowadays. You know, there's, they're quiet fairly for a bar and they're sort of the decor is sort of minimalist and you go to most tiki bars and it's the opposite. And obviously some of that is just the established aesthetic, you know, whether, as you said, you know, established by Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vicks and and carried forward from there, this sort of pan Pacific aesthetic, possibly also with, you know, Caribbean influence. It's kind of hard to say exactly. Um, but but beyond fun, you know, are there is there something about the the fact that you know you talked about the complexity of the drinks, that the number of ingredients that go into most tiki cocktails. I, I also is my my supposition that it, as with many things in the beverage world, the the fact that there is some sweetness in there, even though people like to talk about not wanting sweet drinks, that that we love sweet. You know, it's a human instinct. You know, is that part of what brings the the fun into play there, or, or where do you think that comes from besides just sort of the the vibe of the bars themselves? Well, I, I mean, the fun aspect, I mean, you can have fun in a cocktail lounge. Like, I mean, we are having this second renaissance of cocktails where it's like, okay, people are not just going to a bar to get drunk as if it's a mission. It's like they're going to cocktail bars because they actually enjoy the taste of alcohol and they enjoy the taste of spirits. And, you know, the guys, the, the men and women that work behind the bars these days, I mean, they're amazing. They can, they're more like magicians um, and craftsmen that work hard at their craft. And, and that's one aspect of it. The tiki aspect is, it is like piracy. It's like rock and roll. It's like, there are some rules, but we like to break them. You know, Don the Beachcomber used to say what one, one rum can't do, three rums can, you know, and when I was doing my little Tiki Monday pop-up, I used to say what two ounces of rum can't do, eight ounces of rum can. So, <laughs> you know, I like to, I'd like to have, you know, it's like the old Buddhist saying is you learn all the rules so you know how to break them. And like I spent a good chunk of my time learning all the rules and cutting my chops at Pegu Club and Death and Company. And then it was like when I kind of went out on my own and just wanted to do Tiki, it was, it was something new and different, you know. And yeah, there is the stigma of sweet drinks, um, but that's not what tiki is. Like the drinks aren't sweet; they're balanced. Um, yes, rum is made from sugar, but pretty much everything in this world is made from sugar. So that's 
not really something you should be concerned about. And there are some places, yes, that make tiki drinks that are really sweet that would probably kill a diabetic. But <laughs> there are other places, you know, like Latitude 29, like Smuggler's Cove, Pagan Idol, Lost Lake. There's a lot of great cocktail bars out there now, great cocktail tiki bars out there now that make balanced drinks. You know, just because it has sugar in it doesn't mean it has a whole lot of sugar. A lot of tiki drinks are like, it's a dash of this, it's a teaspoon of that. It's, you know, it's, you're building layers. Like the cocktails are just like the bars themselves. The bars are many layers of decorations and, um, and the cocktails are the same way. It's like, oh my God, what was that? Was that nutmeg or was that green tea? Uh, you know, you're going to taste many many different things in a tiki cocktail. And it's, I think it's a real challenge for bartenders to like be able to balance all that stuff. And that's, and it's fun and it's different. And it's, you know, it's like I, I tell my crew at the Polynesian, I was like, look, we take our drinks seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. We wear sarongs, we wear Aloha shirts, we bandanas, necklaces, bracelets. Like we do everything to just try to have fun and put a customer at ease. You know, I mean, we still have the same, you know, kind of rules that they have at, at cocktail lounges, like, yeah, we'd like you to sit down. We'd like you to not treat my bar like a frat house, but like, you know, a den of rum and like come in and enjoy yourselves. Like the reason why bars have all these rules is because of our fellow human beings. If they behaved a little better, we wouldn't have to have so many rules. <laughs> oh my God, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it is totally true though. So question for you. You've talked a lot about rum. So is rum really what defines tiki is because I've gone to a lot of bars recently and I've seen tiki with gin, with bourbon, with, or is it part of the fact that tiki has no rules and so therefore it can be a lot of different things? I, I think it can be a lot of different things. It's, um, you know, one of my ethos when I started Tiki Mondays was like, I wanted to expand the bounds of, of, of Tiki and include other spirits so other people could feel like they're welcome. You know, there's some people that just love tequila. There's some people that just love gin or just love rye and bourbon and scotch. And I don't want to keep those people outside of the party of, that is Tiki, uh, personally for me i don't really go for vodka I, I i think vodka is the house guy is the party guest that comes to, comes to dinner and doesn't bring anything like <laughs> uh, you know I, I so i i i carry some vodka at my bar but um i probably won't do drinks with it but everything else it's like i try to bring sherry in uh beer sake um i do actually have a scotch drink that's infused with green tea with coconut I think it's better when you open the party up to more people and, and have more people feel like, oh, man, I don't like rum, so I'm not going to go to a tiki bar. You know, it's like I don't want that to be the case. I want everybody to be able to come and, you know, in a very selfish way. It's like, great, if you don't like rum, fine, there's more for me. So. I have a, a question that's like a little bit of a, of a think a driving one with with Tiki, which is, you know, obviously you talk a lot about uh, the spirit. You talk about some of the other sort of flavoring agents, whether they're Orgeat or, or other sort of liqueurs that carry those sort of spice notes. But but obviously a big part of Tiki, too, is is fruit juice in various forms. And do you have concerns or is it an issue in terms of um, dealing with what are largely sort of tropical or subtropical fruits in you know, what is now, I assume, uh, f the frozen wasteland of New York City? Like, how do you as a, as a bar proprietor 
make sure that you're getting those sort of quality ingredients uh, year round? Uh, well, that that is difficult, and sometimes I'm at the mercy of my purveyors to hope that they get me the right, you know, fresh mint and fresh fruit. I mean, I just I just try to do the best with what I've got. Um, there's not, you know, I don't uh, clarify things and you know do the whole molecular mixology and try to rework ingredients. That's not my forte, and there's other people that are far more qualified to do those things than I than I am, but. I just, I try to take the best juices, you know, fresh, 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 the, you know, squeezing fresh juice every day. Um, you know, you do have to bow to uh, the seasons, you know, what's available and what's not. Um, but usually, you know, during the, those tough times, then you try to maybe move towards a little stirred and boozier drinks, you know, um, something with a little less juice, which sometimes people don't think of tiki when they think of stirred and boozy drinks, but that's something that I've been trying to like work on and make sure, you know, it's like, cool, just add a little cinnamon or add some orgeat or bring some other different like baking spices, like baking spices are a big hallmark of tiki drinks. So it's like, you can work within that, that realm. And there's also so many other bartenders to be inspired by and see what they're doing, you know, and it's take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's like, yeah, I am a pirate. At least I admit it. You know, I steal from other people. That I don't think there's a problem with that. Like this whole industry is filled with people who steal from one another. So actually, you segued me into the exact question I want to talk about, which is theft. But I want to talk about theft of drinks. I want to talk about theft of the tiki glasses because I feel like it's as <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh man, yeah, fuck. That's like basically everything that happens, right? Like every tiki bar you go to, I feel like that's good has like, we are going to take your credit card and charge you ten bucks if you steal this glass because we know you are. So, I mean, obviously the glasses are amazing. Uh, they're so artistic. We have some uh, up on our shelves from brands that have sent them to us that are incredible. We sell some to readers. Uh, what is it about the glass that you think makes people want to steal besides it's just fucking awesome? And secondly, what do you do to deal with the fact that probably you lose a ton of glassware? Okay. Um, <laughs> where to go with this? Uh, I thought it was really interesting when I first was, I mean, I started looking at glasses and designing glasses like over a year ago, just trying to get ready because my partners at Major Food Group were like, cool, we want unique and interesting vessels. That's always been kind of a hallmark of their uh, establishment. So, you know, I worked really hard at like, okay, cool. I put together a huge list of pictures and glasses. And then all of a sudden they were like, well, that seems like a lot of glassware. And I was like, yeah, that's what you asked for. And I had to pare things down. And it's like, I think it, the, the hardest thing for me and why I was dropping my head when you started to ask this question was, my partners did not think that we were going to sell tiki mugs. And I was like, I'm going to have to fail to succeed. Like I'm going to have to take a beating and I have taken a social media <laughs> Yelp horse whipping for an Instagram horse whipping from not, for not selling mugs. But pardon my French, but I'm a bar, not a fucking gift shop. Like my, my glasses are meant for people who come from very far away, whether it's, you know, from another country or from the other side of this country or just from New Jersey, it would be a shame for them to come to my bar, see a picture of what their drink is supposed to be, and then get it in like a Libby water glass, you know? So protecting, keeping people from stealing 
you can't really do that. Like, I mean, the real shame of it is it's the women who get caught because the men are like, here, put this in your purse, you know? And it's like, I got to pull the woman aside and be like, do you mind opening that up for a second? I need to look inside. Like, I know you're, you know, <laughs> or sometimes it's the friend that like rats the other person out. It was really like, they're the ones that took it. it wasn't me. Um, and I, I remember asking like Martin Kate at Smuggler's Cove and Bum at Latitude and Paul uh, and Shelby at Lost Lake. I was like, what do you guys do to like keep people from stealing? And they were like, we don't really have that problem. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, of course you guys have this problem. Like, just tell me what you do. I mean, I know Martin has had a lot of beautiful mugs stolen and, you know, they, they put deposits on cards to try to keep people from stealing them. I mean, we haven't been, it hasn't been that bad. Um, you know, we do lose a lot to breakage and stuff like that. It's just trying to explain to people that like the custom mugs that we do have, I only have a certain amount. I got my guy, Danny Gallardo, uh, AKA Tiki Diablo has designed a couple of mugs for us. So I have him working on another second set. So we'll have some to sell hopefully soon. Um, but other stuff was like, we bought mugs, like one of our most popular mugs that's in the Via Contiki. People were like, oh, I want this mug. And I was like, there were 150 made. I bought 75 of them. That's it. There's no more mugs after this, you know? So, uh, you know, I'm not even giving them to my family or, you know, my 13-year-old niece who loves the mugs. And I'm like, sorry, hon, I can't give this to you because I need it for the bar. So um, it's, it, it, it's hard to keep track of them. What keeps people, what makes people steal them? they're fucking tiki mugs. They're fun. They look cool. They're like little pieces of art, you know, but I don't want people to treat them like trophies and steal them and put them on shelves. They're meant to like have drinks in them and to be shared with other people. Um, they're fun and they're beautiful. I mean, I've got a whole collection of like star Wars mugs in there that, um, that, 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 that people love. And I know there are bars that like say, bring your own tiki mug, to the bar and we'll fill up your favorite tiki mug with a drink, which I think is a really great idea. I think it's like the guys at Pagan Idol or False Idol somewhere out in California. One of those guys does nights like that. And it's, I mean, I have the respect of like, I don't steal mugs. Like I saw Martin Kate had this beautiful skull punch bowl. Like the first time I went to, to smugglers and I loved it. I was just like, where did you get it? And he's like, Tiki farm. Great. So I went to Tiki farm and bought it. I didn't try to steal it from Martin. Never do that. Guy probably horse whipped me if he ever, if he ever caught me stealing from him. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's part of the business. It's like something that's kind of written into the business plan that you know you're going to lose mugs, so you just kind of have to account for it. And the best thing that we can do is just keep a diligent eye on customers. And when we know they're going to take one, it's like, hey, please don't take this because what you're you're being selfish. You're denying somebody else the pleasure of enjoying that mug. And frankly, your parents are wrong. You're not that special. So leave, leave the mug <laughs> on the table. So, so regardless of whether someone is able to uh, to steal one of your successfully steal one of your mugs and get it home, or they're just interested in in trying out a little bit of of tiki at home, which obviously is a daunting task because, as you mentioned, it's a lot of complex uh, flavors, a lot of ingredients, and and not always. Uh, ingredients that people have lying around. But but let's say some of our more enterprising listeners are interested in in making a couple of uh tiki cocktails at home. Are there are there any that you would recommend them starting with or or at least an approach that people can take because not everyone has the benefit of living um nearby a great tiki bar. 
Well, I mean, the tiki, the true tiki enthusiasts and the fans, they are really outgoing and like they'll make the syrups, they'll buy the booze, they're like really into it. Um, so sometimes it's like, it's not a matter of like how complex the recipe is. Um, sometimes it's, you know, cause for me, it's like tiki is a lot of syrups. So it's like, start with learning how to make syrups at home. Like that's, that's the easiest thing. It's like learn how to make cinnamon syrup and all of that stuff. It's in the books. It's in Beach Bum Berry's books by Sip and Safari. That was like the seminal cocktail book that I read that like changed my life. And I was like, cool. All the recipes for making like nutmeg syrup and cinnamon syrup, all that stuff is in there. You can find one recipe, like the way Bum makes his cinnamon syrup. You can then sub cinnamon for nutmeg or sub cinnamon for cloves and like make your own, you know, I use bay leaf syrups. We, we make, I think, probably an upwards of like 19 different syrups that we have for the bar. Um, I got a poor guy that lives downstairs in the basement of the Polynesian and makes syrups and cuts garnishes all day. Um, but, uh, you know, starting starting with syrups and making things really simple and, and starting off with things like a daiquiri and trying a daiquiri with different, you know, sweeteners, whether it's a cinnamon syrup or a nutmeg syrup or chipotle honey or, you know, uh, a pineapple syrup, like just start there and make things very simple. And, you know, you can take a Mai Tai. A Mai Tai is essentially, it's a daiquiri on steroids, you know, with orjad as its sweetener and a touch of orange curacao in there. And then you can blend the rums, you know, because all the rums that these drinks were created with originally, they're, most of them are extinct, you know, so it's just about finding the right rum blend. You know, there's plenty of new, wonderful rums that are out there right now. Um, and you can blend those and make some, you know, as Don said, what one rum can't do, three rums can. You just start blending and coming up with your own uh, rum profile. And it's it, it's pretty easy. Start with a daiquiri, build from there. Then you can go to a Mai Tai. Then you can, you know, a Nui Nui is a pretty easy drink that's pretty popular. That's, you know, uh, lime juice, orange juice, Cinnamon and then Dawn's Dawn Spices number two, which is a combination of allspice and vanilla syrup, dash Angostura bitters, rum, big orange horse's neck in there, you know, and it's a simple and beautiful drink. I think if you're a home bartender and you're going into Tiki, you know you're you're climbing the Mount Everest of home cocktails. So you know what you're in for and you know it's gonna be tough. So I think those you know, the people that do it at home, they're hopefully they're not as good as me and the rest of my brethren. So people still come to bars, you know, <laughs> I don't want to put myself out of business. I have one sort of one last question that, that goes at sort of what you were talking about as far as, um, you know, kind of keeping you guys in business and, and maybe, uh, it's sort of in the realm of things that, uh, the average home, uh, or even ambitious home bartender can attempt. Are there, are there a couple of sort of less commonly known, uh, tiki cocktails, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier on the Singapore Sling, Mai Tais, daiquiris, um, you know, there's other, there's a few others that are classics, but what are some of your kind of favorite lesser known, but still kind of classic uh, tiki cocktails that you think people should uh, consider checking out uh, next time they're out at a bar? Hmm. Okay, good question. Uh, something you can get that, that that is relatively simple, you know, because some of them call for esoteric rums and uh, things like that. But um I think the Nui Nui is great. Uh, I love the Montego Bay. I think the Blue Hawaiian is nice. 
um, made with rum instead of vodka. Um, what else is out there? I mean, I am a Singapore slang fan. I love that. Uh, zombie. I mean, that's like when you really want to try and do something special, like recreate the zombie, uh, the 1934 zombie. But there's also the 1950 and the 1956, and those are great, and they're different. Um, I think something that's fun, like for the home bartender, is try the try the Mai Tai and then try the QB Cooler, which was the inspiration, which was the drink that Trader Vic had and loved and decided he was going to try to recreate that and ended up coming up with the Mai Tai. And then the drink where the name comes from, which is the Mai Tai Swizzle by Don the Beachcomber, and you put all three of those together, and the only thing they have in common is rum and lime juice. But other than that, those three cocktails are totally different. But it's interesting to taste those and see like where the Mai Tai evolved from. started with the name with the Mai Tai Swizzle, then it moved to the QB Cooler, and then it moved to the Mai Tai. Um, you know, and you can play around. It's play around with the drinks, switch out different ingredients, switch out the rums, switch out uh, the syrups and try to create things. Just like try making a Mai Tai and adding absinthe to it, you know, is actually really nice. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot out there. Like seriously, just go buy everything that Beach Bumberry has written and look at those recipes. And those recipes are, they're like the rules of piracy. They're not rules, they're guidelines. And they're meant to be broken and twisted and turned. And, and you know, it's, I get plenty of people that come, it's, it, it's kind of nice now, like back in the day, it used to be like, people would be like, I make the best margarita in the world. I can put a touch of orange juice in it. Like people are like, my, my, my margarita is the best. Now it's like, my Mai Tai is the best. Here's what I do and do something a little bit different. It's like it's a drink that people like to play with and 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 work around. And I've seen Evan Freeman did one once with uh, Jesus. What I think it had grappa in it, or he had an amaro. Like, uh, I, yeah, and he called it the eye tie. Um, so it was like Italian amaro. I mean, there's there's so many different ways that you can skin this cat and do something cool and different. It's just like you know, like the old saying. It's like learn all the rules so you know how to break them later. I get that foundation and then move from there. That is super, super cool. So Brian, I want to thank you so much for coming on for educating us on Tiki. It's my also, pleasure. Like let's, let's plug again, the Polynesian. So 42nd street, 42nd street pod hotel, third floor. Come on in. Tell them you listen to the show. We'll get you a little Hawaii five O shot. So, uh, and what are the hours? Like, uh, we are, what are we, <laughs> Sunday through Thursday, uh, four to one o'clock and then Friday and Saturday is open till two. I'm coming. Cause nothing uh, good happens after 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so thank you so much again. Really appreciate it. Um, hopefully everyone learned a lot more about Tiki cocktails and thank you so much for listening and Zach, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is recorded in New York City at Vinepair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patriot, and the show is produced by Zach Jewell. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Grimberg. Special thanks as well to the entire Vinepair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.